Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2070. Be prepared to be inspired. And today, you better buckle up because we're running up Pikes Peak. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Colorado Springs. You know what that means. Pikes Peak Talk today with a very special guest by the name of Fred Veach. Fred, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear, and are you ready to release the clutch? I'm absolutely ready. Let's leave pit lane. All right, lay down some stripes. Now, before I give you a proper introduction and we dive into this wonderful world of cars you live in, would you share one little thing that maybe people don't know about you, Fred? Yeah, I, uh, in college, was in a band, and we were with an assembly hall called The Family Dog, and we played with The Doors, Jefferson Airplane, Big Brother and Holding Company, Blue Cheer. What? Uh, Eric Clapton, all those things. So I was a reformed hippie. Serious names you're, you're spitting off there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, there was, a, there was a promoter by the name of Barry Fay, and he went out to California and met Chet Helms, who had the Avalon Ballroom. They became partners in a venue called The Family Dog. And so we were the house band and opened for all those groups. Also played with Timothy Leary and the Grateful Dead uh, at a love-in in in, uh, Denver Park. I mean, we were a full-blown touring rock band. (laughs) Holy cow. That's incredible. Well, you and I are a bit of the same generation. So uh, yeah, those are all the bands and the music that I grew up with and I still love today. Wow, that's impressive. Well, that's why I like to ask that question. You learn a lot about people. So let me give you a proper introduction. We're going to dive into your world. Fred Veach is a Pikes Peak racer, organizer, supporter, and all-around racing cheerleader. Long before Fred ran his first Pikes Peak hill climb, he was a lifelong motor racing and Porsche enthusiast who could count among his various former rides a 906 in the first Porsche 930 in the United States. You listeners know I love 930s. I've got one. In 2012, he ran the hill climb and again in 2013 and then won the Time Attack 2 class in 20. 2014. He autocrossed and rallied to Ford Cortina, ran West Coast POC and PCA events in the early 70s, and has owned and raced numerous Porsches, including a Porsche tractor. He's been a Pikes Peak chairman, founded the AMR PCA region in 1972, has run at the Bonneville Salt Flats, he says he's still picking salt out of that car, and still races a Porsche 996 in POC, PCA, and Nassau events. Fred also runs what he calls an ugly green Mustang he named the Thirsty Turtle in eight-hour endurance races. Fred recently retired from his family development business, allowing for a lot more time to play with cars. We'll be back in just a moment, but first a word from our sponsor, so please give them a little listen. Hey, give them a little business to the reason we're here today, and we'll be right back. You know I've been an advocate for Covercraft products to protect my cars for decades, but did you know they also offer you top-quality products for your boats and watercraft? That's right, Covercraft puts their quality design, manufacturing, and fabrics into their full cover bimini tops, T-tops, boat lift covers, outboard motor covers, personal watercraft, and accessories. Protect your marine toys from damaging UV rays today. You'll get the same high quality and fit you come to know for your road vehicles, but on the water. And I've got a great deal for you. If you use the code YA21 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your cover plus free shipping. That's right, 10% off. Just use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. 
Visit Covercraft.com today. I was talking with a buddy of mine the other day, and he asked me about American Collectors Insurance. He said, while I listen to you on Cars Yeah, you're always talking about agreed value collector car insurance. Well, I insure all my cars on my regular auto insurance policy, and I've done it for years. Why use a different company for my collector cars? I get a multi-car discount. Isn't that good enough? I suggested he call his carrier and ask how much he would get if his collector car was totaled or stolen. He called back and said, boy, that was a scary conversation. Their value of my car wasn't even close to what it's really worth. Thank you for the education, Mark. So don't just hope for a fair claim settlement. Be certain and know exactly what you receive with an agreed value policy. American Collectors Insurance has been protecting enthusiasts since 1976. Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote at 866-ACI-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of Mark Green's at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance, classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors, automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. They're the ones that insure my car. That's American Collectors Insurance. So, Fred, we are back. So we're going to dive a little deeper into the corner into your world. You shared this incredible time you spent in rock band, but let's go back in time a little bit and then walk us through this amazing life you've had because you had this development business. That was your main career, but it sounds like you love the track and love to have fun. So how did this all start? Cars. Well, I, I grew up in Riverside, California. And my dad was actually the track doctor for Riverside for the track. Wow. And the senior gurneys were good friends. And my dad delivered all of Dan Gurney's children. What? So I grew up, oh yeah. Gosh. So I grew up in Riverside going to the races. My dad was into cars, but he liked big V8 American cars. I always was intrigued with sports cars. And so when I got into college, I started autocrossing. I knew nothing about the sport but just had fun and did rallies. And I had uh, a Cortina that later in college, and then I got a 912 Porsche, which I absolutely loved. Started doing DEs. Unfortunately, the 912 came to an abrupt end at Woody Creek in Aspen Uh-oh. Uh, because I'm incredibly stupid and I did everything wrong and rolled the car. Oh. And uh, then that went on to a 72T and one thing led to another and I ended up with the 930. And then, you know, I got into racing and it just sort of progressed from there. And I've been really lucky in my life that I've just been able to play in the sport a bit on the side, you know, went outside of business. And uh, like a lot of lucky people, I have a wife who allows me to do it and actually encourages <laughs> it. So, you know, couldn't do it without her support. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we married similar women. My my wife's not really into cars, but she is always just encouraged what I do. And and you raced and I, I raced and I we know what that costs. And I come home some weekends and go, well, uh, grenaded another engine. And she goes, well, you came home safe and sound. That's all I care about, care about. But let's talk also about Pike's Peak, because this is something near and dear to your heart. I've had many guests on the show. Uh, Sean Cridlin, a mutual friend who connected me with with you uh, is there shooting photos all the time. Pikes Peak, when did you first get involved with that event? I, I got involved by getting on the board probably about 13, 14 years ago, and I was asked to get on the board, and I was interested really in the history of the race, not necessarily as an entrant or any other part. And I found out rapidly that the race was broke. It was ready to fold. Uh, there was no money in the bank account. Uh, the board was conducted primarily by racers. 
and with all due respect to my peers, they make terrible business decisions sometimes. <laughs> yeah, they spend a lot of money, don't they? <laughs> and yeah, and the, and the Sierra Club had sued the city uh, to have the road paved, and so for years it was partially paved because the paving season's so short on the course, and so we really really struggled for a couple of years, and then we reconstituted the board under what's called the Sports Corporation, which is part of the El Pomar Foundation, which is a really strong group here in town. All the board members had to resign. Uh, there was a new board put together. And at that point, the pavement was going to be done in 2012. And I told my wife, I said, you know, if I get some support, I've always wanted to kind of do this race. I'd like to go do it. And she said, of course, dear, knowing nobody would take that bait and do it. <laughs> the dealership here in Color Springs is an amazingly great dealership. And I went to them and they said, oh, what a great idea. Let's find you a car because they sell a lot of cars to old guys. So I jumped in with both feet in 2012, not knowing what I was getting into. And I will tell you, the first time I drove up the hill uh, to look at it from a competitive standpoint, I honestly thought, oh, my God, what have I gotten myself into? Because it is just a daunting task to go up that mountain. Yeah, it's it's scary. Now, are you talking about Joe Brenner over there? Yes, Joe Brenner and Don Hicks. And, and again, they're incredible people. Uh, they're enthusiasts. And and yes, they sell product, but they sell product they care about. And everybody in that organization cares, and, they, and it shows. And so, I, you know, I entered in 2012. I was incredibly lucky in 14 to have won. Uh, 13 was a screw-up. I went off the road in practice and damaged the car, was able to fix it and return and run. Uh, but then I had a horrible day. I didn't qualify particularly well. And I ran in the snow with slicks. One of the scariest things I've ever done. And then uh, kept doing it. Uh, dropped out for a year or two. Uh, and then my last run was two years ago. And because I made my turbo rear wheel drive, they moved me up a class. And I ran an open, which is ridiculous for a 20-year-old car. And I was actually third and open. It was just a gift. Uh, just a gift. Wow. And I've retired now because I've cut a deal with my family not to do it. And <laughs> Tom Osborne, who was our chair, died, unfortunately, a year and a half ago. And I've accepted the chairmanship because I just have a passion for this race and its growth. Tell the listeners who maybe don't know a lot about Pikes Peak a little bit, some of the facts about this event, because it's it's incredible. I mean, it's a big, tall mountain. And you think, OK, kind of fun drive up there. But to run up it and try to match speeds, it's there's no guardrails. I mean, it's you got to be careful. No, it, it's a dawning race. It's 12.42 miles up a mountain road that's fully paved. There are no guardrails. We start at about 9,200 uh, feet of elevation, and we finish at 14,115 feet. Wow. We get one run, and it's whatever the weather conditions are that day. If it's rainy that day, you run in the rain. If it's snowy that day and you're able to get to the top, you have a full course. If you can't, they can shorten the course. You practice in three segments. You qualify in the lower segment, and when you line up, you line up according to the speed you qualified in, and you get one run. Now, we have six classes, but the classes are very, very loosely organized. We're one of the few races in the world left that doesn't have a balance of performance, and I tell everybody we encourage cheating. Um, <laughs> if you can figure a way to get your car to the top on nitrous, you ought to do it. And so it allows everyone a lot of latitude in car setup. But the car, you've got to you've got to be able to do 156 corners up a mountain road as fast as you can possibly drive. And Paul Dallenbach several years ago said, "Racing's where you learn car control. Pikes Peak's where you get to show what you've learned racing." Yeah. And it's a dawning task for everyone. And there's a camaraderie that you don't see in other racing. Uh, when you finish at the top, all your fellow competitors are there to get you out of the car, give you a hug, congratulate you. Uh, if you've got a problem during the week, everybody jumps in to make sure you make the race. And that's not true in other forms of racing. As you know, if your main competitor in another race has a 
problem during qualifying. Sometimes you go back snickering into the pits going, well, they're down for the weekend. Where on Pikes Peak, there's just a totally different approach. Everybody wants to see everybody be safe and have a great run. What's also great about it, and I recently had David Donahue on the show. He's coming back to run it again for the Brumos livery, that yeah, fantastic livery. This is a group of people from profession, hardcore professionals, amateurs, some people that haven't done a, mall, a lot of racing that come and do this. But there's a brother in, a sister in, I guess, if you will, of people, of racers that all come together to support each other. Like you said, uh, a lot of famous people have run up this hill, right? A- absolutely. We've had 15 indie winners run the hill. We've had uh, Sebastian Loeb set a record in the Peugeot. Romain Demont comes back almost every year on his own nickel to run. And, you know, again, uh, road scholars, uh, wonderful people were sponsors of mine. The first year they came, they said, this is Formula One meets Woodstock because you have everything from $30 million factory entries to somebody who actually has built their chassis, put a V8 engine in it and an open wheel car running. Now it's an invitational race and they do look for people with good racing history, good racing pedigrees, because the last thing you want to do is hurt someone. And and the, and it's potentially a very, very dangerous course because the fast cars are hitting 130, 140 miles an hour on the upper section. Wow. And it's bumpy. Uh, and, you know, it's a 36-foot width of pavement. And at that speed, as you know, things can go wrong pretty quickly. Well, especially you lose a tire or steering mechanism yeah, oh yeah. or something crazy like that. So it's, tell us, our listeners, a little bit, if somebody wanted to go and experience Experience this because it's not like a race where there's grandstands and you can sit. How do spectators get involved and get to see things? A couple different ways. Uh, first off, there's camping permits. The only night of the year you're allowed to camp on Pikes Peak is the night before the race. There are 250 camping permits. Those sold out in a week. So those are gone. There are three designated spectator areas on the mountain, and those are limited by the number of cars we can park. So we try to encourage ticket sales, kind of like the old drive-in movie days. If you can put 26 people in the trunk, that's a great idea. <laughs> and the tickets are you know, discounted accordingly. We're almost sold out of tickets. You can purchase tickets during the practice week on a limited basis. Uh, And then there's a live stream that Mobile One produces. And it will be live streamed again this year by Mobile One. It will also be on KRDO Radio in Colorado Springs. And they send that signal out worldwide. But Mobile One had a million and a half listeners worldwide last year. I'm going to tell you, the race is huge in Europe. It's huge in the Orient. The irony is... When you get to Colorado Springs, nobody seems to know there are race cars in town. So it's <laughs> it's proportionately watched the further away you seem to be because racing in Europe has a huge history of hill climbs. Yeah. And it's it's a big deal over there. Peugeot, when they won, sent a letter to us and said they got a better sales lift in Europe winning Pikes Peak than they did winning Le Mans, wow. which is significant That's in incredible. terms of how manufacturers look at this race. Yeah. Now, when does the race take place this year? It, this year, it's on June 26th. It's a Sunday. It always runs on a Sunday. We run the race in June because the road is a public road. And so we have to practice in the morning between about 5.15 at first light and get off the mountain by 8.30. So it's dawning conditions. You're up at 2, 2.30 every morning with your team trying to get organized and get there. And uh, we practice. We have tech on Monday. We practice and qualify Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday by breaking the field in thirds. And then Friday is an optional day uh, that you can run predicated on where you're assigned that day. Set up some pits on Saturday and race on Sunday. 
Phenomenal. And you listeners, it's easy to find on the web. You can go and just Google Pike's Peak Hill Climb or Pike's Peak. Everything's there. You can see it. And this uh, you can find out how to watch the live stream with mobile, uh, which is really fun and neat to see. You get some inside views of this whole thing. Wonderful, wonderful event. I'm so happy that you're there helping support this thing and it still exists, which is even more cool. So, Fred, let's talk a little bit about your life and driving inspirations, key mentors, people that were maybe are very influential, helpful in your life. This this could be in the car world, could be in the private life, whatever it might be. But what did this person do for you? You know, I thanks for asking that. I I've had several people throughout my life. I, I am not that talented in many many areas. <laughs> you're and, selling and, yourself uh, short, my friend. <laughs> no, and, and and I've had so many people through my life that have kind of mentored me or helped me along. Racing wise, Bob Donner who lived here in Colorado Springs. His son, David, today is an eight or nine-time overall champion on Pikes Peak. And David, by the way, is trying to set a record in a Turbo S this year, a new Turbo S Mm. that's being sponsored by Champion Motorsports. So David's dad took me under his wing when I first started racing. And as you know, there are a lot of things not to do racing. Uh, Alan Johnson who was a national champion, became a friend early in my career. Don Kravick of Riverside, who was active in POC. So a lot of people early in my life kind of put me under their wing and helped me. Later people in life are people like Jeff Swart. Jeff's become a great friend. People like the Ingrams. And, uh, you know, just I've just been lucky throughout my life and career that people have been willing to share, mentor, assist me. Uh, very selflessly. And, and you know, any success I might have in life, I owe it to others. Business-wise, same thing. Two or three people significant in our community very early on put their arms around me and said, listen, kid, you're kind of screwing this deal up and here's what you need to do. And have always helped me. And so I'm very, very appreciative. Lately, somebody new is Dwayne Dement, who's real active in POC. I don't know if you know Dwayne, but he's the chief driving instructor. He runs Vision Motorsports, a great Porsche shop in Southern California. And Dwayne's a very giving kind of guy. So, you know, I I think when you get yourself involved with new things, it's always helpful to seek out some of the people that have been there, done that and ask them. And, And they're flattered typically and are more than happy to share. Well, you mentioned some great names and great past guests here on the show. Jeff's been a guest a couple times, and the Ingrams, Bob and Cam, have been guests on the show. In fact, I uh, I had a beautiful 72S years ago that they brokered um, for a client of theirs, and I sold that car to them. And, uh, of course, everyone knows Road Scholars as being uh, an incredible place to go find or have fantastic Porsches restored. So for you listeners that didn't listen to those shows, Road Scholars are H-O-D-E, scholars and you can add the word porsche when you're googling it so you get to the right place uh the fun porsche place versus the book smart place <laughs> so uh you'll have some fun there we're going to take a short break and thank our sponsors we come back want to talk a little bit about some challenges you face but more importantly what you learn from them uh yeah if you get in racing you got challenges so keep the seatbelt cinched tight we're at pike's peak today with fred Veach. we'll be right back sure auto geeks blackfire sio2 spray sealant It's a spray-on, wipe-off sealant that's quick, safe, and easy to clean and protect your vehicles. I love using it on all my cars. Auto Geek's Blackfire SiO2 Spray Sealant is a spray-on, wipe-away sealant that uses SiO2 ingredients to provide a slick, brilliant, and long-lasting shine. Silicon dioxide is known to be one of the most effective ingredients in car care products, and Blackfire Spray Sealant takes advantage of every stunning feature it has to offer. This sealant will protect your paint from road film, dirt, and other common contaminants while providing an impeccable, long-lasting, hydrophobic surface that forces water to sheet and bead on your paint 
for months. Go to autogeek.net to get yours and for the best product selections on the internet today, along with their skilled technical support. Autogeek.net is where I go for all my detailing needs. That's autogeek.net. Check them out today. If your car started today, well, thank a tech. If that truck delivering your goods today got to your home or your business, thank a tech. If that airplane you rode in took off and landed safely, and if that boat you're riding in arrived at the dock safe and sound, that's right, thank a tech. One thing the pandemic has taught us is that great techs keep America rolling. They are essential workers and we need them. Support career and technical education by getting involved with TechForce Foundation. It's a Cars Yeah charity of choice. Learn more at techforce.org today. Linkage. It's a new quarterly publication and website that covers the automotive market, driving, restoring, collecting, and discovering your passion for motor vehicles. Linkage is about experiences, opinions, and values. Linkage is an actual, informed, reasoned opinion based on firsthand experiences. A talented Linkage team covers the automotive world, the people who share your passion. And mine, smart, considered, rational, and experienced opinions. Ones you can learn from and grow. That includes our passion that drives auctions and the collector car market. So come with me and join us on this journey. And be sure to use the code CARSYEAH when you subscribe and they'll give you $10 off. Boom! Linkage, geared for the automotive life. Subscribe today at LinkageMag.com. So, Fred, let's talk about this. I love not drumming up bad things. I love learning situations people have gone through that have been very challenging, maybe even a big failure. You fall on your face, but it's more about what it taught you. So maybe walk us through a little uh, rough ride up the mountain. Well, I think anybody that goes out and tries to compete in a car, several things happen. First off, you find out you're not nearly as good as you might think you are. And there's always people who are significantly better and faster. And and the answer is, you know, ask them why. And and they'll be candid with you. As late as this year, uh, I went to an invitational event at, at Road Atlanta that the Collier Group and Road Scholars put on. And Patrick Long was there. And I had my hill climb there. And I was chasing Patrick around in the GT3 uh, RS. And at lunch... Patrick came to my table and I said, okay, give me, give me the story. And he said, you're real good through the technical sections, but boy, you suck on the slow corners. And <laughs> uh, he was absolutely right. I do suck on those slow corners. <laughs> so the point is, I think you can always learn from guys who are significantly better and you ought to take the advantage to do so. You know, lessons learned. I think if you race, you do everything wrong. I mean, I, there's probably a huge long list that I could go on and on of things I've done incorrectly, not checking lug nuts and having a wheel fall off in a Ooh, race, uh, not checking brakes and barrel rolling my 912, um, uh. on and on and on. And unfortunately, a lot of those life lessons, you have to learn the bad way. And it teaches you to be prepared and to have a process. And the second year on Pikes Peak, uh, Sean Cridland would tell you that I didn't pay attention. I thought the first year I had pretty good success in my class. And so I thought, well, I know all this. Let's just go have fun. And it's the wrong place to go have fun. And one morning in practice, uh, first, pra- first run should always be a sighting run. 
you shouldn't push the car because conditions can change. It can snow, it can rain, it can put gravel on the course. But I didn't do that, of course, because I knew I knew better. And I had watched David Donner's tape the night before in his cup car, and there was a corner I was having particular problems on, and I noticed that David was able to cheat the corner and get on the gas early. Okay. So the first run of the day, I said, I can do that. Uh-oh. Well, you know what? I can't. And I went off the mountain, and I went down the mountain about 250 yards, Ooh. ended up against a tree. I fortunately was fine, and the car was repairable. Yeah. But the lesson there was, what was I thinking? And the answer was I wasn't. And the the off really wasn't the result of screwing up the corner. The off was a result of not focusing, not paying attention, not having a process, not dealing with it. And I think what a lot of people have to learn the hard way is uh, you don't go fast because you go fast. You go fast because you've had a process. You've worked at it. The car's prepared. You're prepared. You're thinking about it. You're in the game. And uh, so that'd be my life lesson is have a process. Well, I've heard this from, I've interviewed hundreds of racers and many, many of them have said many races won in preparation before you even get to the track, right? Absolutely. If you come to Pikes Peak and your car is not prepared, you will not have a good week at all. And because you have such limited practice, there's no time during the day to fix the car. There's just none. And so the whole day is wiped out. So if you only get three or four looks at a course during the week, you would squander that. And we've had great cars come that aren't prepared and the guys sit it out. And that's a lot of money to spend to sit it out. Oh, it's frustrating. Yeah, I've been there, done that. You know, I want to ask you a quick opinion on this because you and I are a couple, I'm not going to call us old guys. I'll call us uh, classic. I, I will. <laughs> we are old guys. <laughs> we, oh, okay, thank you. I'll let you do that. So electric race cars. I mean, electric yes. cars are coming on fast. Porsche's making major moves. I just read this morning, Corvette, going to start producing all electric yes. Corvettes. Porsche is going to be doing it with the Cayman, the Boxster, the Macan. Uh, they already have the Taycan. Um, what's your opinion of these, uh, of Pikes Peak running in electric vehicles? Well, you know, we, we have an electric class. And again, we're probably one of the few race places in the world where they have an open electric class. The guys that are running this year, it's really interesting. We've got a bunch of Tesla plaids coming up, but they're not being run by the manufacturer. They're being run by battery technology companies or people that are working in technology. Uh, we encourage it. Uh, our first electric car on Pikes Peak was in 1980. And so, we encourage different kinds of cars, different kinds of technologies. I, I think it's significant that Acura ran the NSX the first time on Pikes Peak. Um, we're a great proving ground because it's so hard on engines, transmissions, cooling, brakes, etc. We're a great proving ground for technology, and we actually encourage that. Now, no one's running hydrogen this year, but we have had three hydrogen teams ask, call us, and want to talk about what it would take to run a hydrogen car at Pikes Peak. Yeah. So, you know, I, I we we welcome that sort of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, the world changes and if you don't change with it, you get left in the dust, right? <laughs> so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a way to go. Well, you're a guy who's embraced racing. You had a different kind of business, your career. It was development, but you've embraced cars. You've encompassed your life in that. When you look ahead into your life, Fred, do you have a couple bucket list items that you know, my, my wife would tell you I don't because I've pretty much checked the boxes as I've gone through life. Yeah. You know, I've always been one that jumps off and then looks for the branch on the way down, um, <laughs> which maybe isn't a good way to live Sometimes your life. Sometimes not, yeah. But, but I've done it. Um, no, I, you know, as I'm, 
I've retired now. And as I've retired, I want to spend more time with my family, with my grandkids, with people that are important in my life. I enjoy very much going on tours and doing other things. And I want to support things where I hopefully can make a difference, like the race. Uh, And, you know, my goal there is to give the tools to our staff so they can do their jobs well. We're blessed with really incredible people in the office. We only have five full-time staff people. So for race day, for example, we end up with 100 uh, EMTs, police, and, and support people on that regard, and then 400 volunteers to put the race on. Wow. So, and, and because we're not a series like IMSA or WRL or that, we don't have paid professionals in those areas. So they have to be trained into it. They have to be you know, coordinated with the medical people. It, it takes a lot of effort to put this race on, but this race is absolutely worth it. It's, it's just, I, I don't know how to describe it to someone who hasn't participated, but I'll guarantee you our sponsors and the guys who race, if you do it once, you are coming back. It's just an amazing, amazing week. Absolutely. So my bucket lists are, yeah, they're, I kind of just figure them out each year. Yeah, <laughs> you keep throwing rocks in your bucket. Absolutely. Yeah. So let's talk about a special vehicle in your life. You've had many cool cars, but is there one maybe today that stands out you'd like to tell a story about? You know, I people ask me about the 930 just because it's an interesting story. I, I A friend of mine, Bob Ibbotson, who at the time had an RSR, had gone to Vasic Pollux for some race parts. And uh, he called me and he said, uh, you know, there's a new Porsche Turbo. And, and we had heard rumors about it. And there had been some early European releases on the car at Vasic Pollux. Yes. So I went down there and the sales manager said, yeah, you want to take it for a drive? Well, no, hell no. Who'd want to get in the new Turbo? So yeah, about three blocks in, my question is, what are you going to do with this car? And he said, it's for sale. Bang, I bought the car. And, wow. you know, a couple of weeks later, the Porsche parade was coming up and I had gone up to Sears Point to bond it for a for a three-day program. And then we drove up the coast to the parade in Portland, Oregon. What I found out later was the feds had gotten wind of these cars and they were trying to confiscate them. And so they actually had, yeah, it was just nuts. it, It would make a great movie. They had had two federal agents follow me up the coast and they were always two or three days behind me. And the good news is I didn't know it at the time. And what? That's you know, crazy. then I found, yeah, it is crazy, but they wanted to confiscate these cars because Vasic had brought the two turbos in along with a bunch of BMWs illegally. Oh. And he had gotten the car from Dr. Porsche because they were friends and had yeah. been on the Swiss auto show stand. And so, you know, I got back to Colorado Springs and found out the feds were after me. So I, Dick Troutman was a friend and I used to keep my car at Dick's shop. Dick put in a roll cage and I went out and ran a couple SCCA races so when the feds finally got back to Colorado Springs, I said, I don't know what you're talking about. I have a race car in the garage that I'm happy to show you. And here's my logbook. You know, this car would never be on the street. Wink, wink. <laughs> and, and they left me alone. Wow. Uh, but I knew they were out there. And so then I called the EPA kind of naively thinking what I might do to get the car made legal. And literally the guy on the phone said, is that that illegal Colorado car? And I went, click. I mean, just panicked. Wow. And so – the lawsuit eventually was settled or it went to court. I understand Vasic lost a large amount of money over all of this. Wow. This car was fine. Uh, the car was great, and I campaigned the car. I ran it in a lot of POC races. I won my series that year in POC. I will say this. The early turbos were fantastic cars in terms of performance at their time, but looking back, they were crude cars. And if you owned one, you became the world's best brake because the brakes <laughs> didn't last any time at all. They were grossly underbraked, which I think they fixed in 78. Okay. But up until though, those early cars had a lot of lag and they didn't stop. So was your car 74, 75? It was a 75. 75, and first it year. Was a pre-production 75. 
I think it was serial number 10. Oh, my God. So it's an early, early car. It was a great car. I sold it years later, and I had heard the car had been wrecked. And then the car showed up about three years ago in Colorado Springs. It had been on a used car lot in Denver. What? Uh, the guy who bought it practically stole it. I think he paid $35,000 for it. Oh, my goodness. And it was original paint, original car. And Andial had done a number of small performance intakes to it because I became a part or a customer of Allen's and, and Dieter's in 75 when they opened their shop. And Dieter to this day is a great friend who comes to Pikes Peak every year. So again, I've been just blessed in my life with some wonderful relationships with just some iconic people in our sport. And I'm just kind of a Walter Mitty regular guy. So for me to be able to know some of these people and have relationships with them has been very, very special. Well, mine is an 87, so it's second generation, and they corrected some of the things uh, still, you know, known as the Widowmaker. i got to be a little careful going around corners with a heavy right foot, but um, those early cars, yeah, you're right. I've been in, if you've not driven them, but they're a little bit more crude and uh, they demand some respect but uh, i would say you're right on the braking but those cars were the supercar of the day oh absolutely yeah performance of those cars yeah compared to everything else yeah we we did a we did a hill climb with that car very early in its life uh here in colorado springs put on by the corvette club and you know they had their own classes and i don't know what they were but they put me like in the fourth class from the top and i said you know guys i don't think the car ought to be put in this class Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a three-liter, yeah. Well, you know, the first run, I was in first place by like 30 seconds. Well, cornering, That's all the yeah. Corvette guys came and said, what the hell is that thing? And I said, <laughs> it's your worst nightmare, guys. It's a turbocharged Porsche. Yeah. And again, against cars of its era, it was a, you know, it's a supercar. It's only now when we go backwards do we realize that those cars were pretty crude. I mean, right. I'm sure you've driven a 72 RS. We thought that was the best car in the world. Of course. You put a 72 RS on a track today and you go, where in the hell are the brakes? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. And so, so yeah, they're still great cars. Yeah. But I think they're great cars within their era. Well, of course. Yeah. As everything is. I was great in my era, Fred. So I'm told. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So I'm going to crawl into your head a little bit. I'm going to be your car psychologist. This should be an interesting travel. It's an empty head. This is going to be too tough. <laughs> okay. Well, if you were reincarnated or manifest as a vehicle, and this isn't what you want to be, you got to really dig deep into your heart and the man in the mirror and who you are as a person. What would you be? But more importantly, why? You know, I asked this to several friends, and I got some very interesting answers. Okay. Um, Sean Credlin thought I would be my hill climb car. Okay. Because it's pretty ill-conceived. Um, street car <laughs> made into a race car, and there's some some facts in that. You know, I I would probably, and this is going to be different than you normally hear. I think I'd be a wheelbarrow with a four-liter cup engine. Okay. Now, always, whoa, 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 whoa! You've gone to a place no one has ever gone. Uh, let's back up a little bit here. A what? A wheelbarrow with a four-liter cup motor because I've had an ability to try to do things that shouldn't be done okay. uh, against you know the, your intellectual self. And uh, I would sit there and go, well, a wheelbarrow's you know got a low center of gravity. I can make it mid-engine. It's only got three <laughs> wheels, so I'd have pretty good pretty good brakes, pretty good traction. And it would be something that everybody else would look at and go, what the hell was he thinking? <laughs> and the answer is apparently not not every, not through it very well. So I've had a tendency in the past to probably make some bad decisions. I would share this. Early on, everybody who buys a Porsche in those days, wanted in the old days, wanted to fix their cars up. Yeah. And so I'd come to Dieter at Andial and I'd say, I have this new 72T. What can I do to make it into a race car? Sure. And his answer invariably would be nothing. Leave your car alone. Yeah. You know, if you you want a race car, 
go buy the best race car you can buy. So my hill climb car is kind of a tribute to not thinking that way because we've, you know, we've built and rebuilt the car three or four times. And today I've got a 2001 turbo race car. Well, you know, who thoughtful person would do that? But it is a good car for Pikes Peak. It's not very good for other things, but it's great for Pikes Peak. You sound a lot like Joe over there at uh, the Porsche dealership and some of the stuff that they pull. So, uh, oh, he's made some incredibly bad calls. Um, <laughs> he has a guy from Sweden this year who's going to, to bring that 2016 Turbo S back to life. Yes. Uh, I'm not sure if they're running a turbo motor or not. But yeah, he kind of followed down my path with a new car. And that's a great way to spend a lot of money. Yeah, I think they are going to run it with a turbo. I think that's the plan. So, uh, yeah, he he does some of that crazy stuff. Oh, wheel, you're the first wheelbarrow on the show. So there you go. We've <laughs> Well, anybody can say a GT3 RS. You well, know, that's course. easy. Yeah, of course. We all want to be one of those. So I like to ask how my guests, because everybody who has learned the success, the way to be happy and successful in life is to help others. What are some ways that you like to give back? I know one is helping with the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Well, one is the hill climb. Uh, you know, I've been on a lot of uh, boards, uh, and, and my philosophy there is if you can't make it better, you shouldn't do it. In other words, I, you know, I don't think you ought to ever do anything for resumes. I think you do it because you have a passion and you can help. Um, I think giving back is important, and I think paying it forward is important. This year, uh, we have a little compound here where my retirement garage is, and we're hosting eight of the Porsche teams for Pikes Peak. Um we're happy to do it and and provide them with facilities and a place to race out of because, as you know, when you go far distances, it's tough to have a supply line and have support. So, you know, we've got eight teams here. We've got uh, Lonnie Unser coming, who's going to be in oh. the club sport class, oh, which really? is the fourth generation on the mountain. And she, by the way, is the real deal. She's a very, very good driver. She's 25. Uh, she's running in the MX-5 series and WRL, and she's doing well. Um, we've got David Donahue in the Porsche Color Springs' garage, which is across from mine. And, and the man from Sweden who's going to be driving that Turbo S. Uh, in ours, I've got Jeff Zwart I'm hosting, and I'm also hosting Reese Millen, who's never raced a Porsche, and he's racing the EM, E-Motion car from Southern California. Wow. It's going to be a fire-breathing dragon. It's a Cup R with a turbo mo- motor in it, and uh, really up for Pikes Peak uh, in, in a, a way across, in the parking lot across from us. The North Peak Surgeon has a, a, a garage. Uh, we're hosting three more teams, including uh, a twin-engine car that's being built in Florida, and it's going to have a turbo, or it's going to have a four-liter cup motor in the back and a turboed front, and it's Gunner uh, Jeanette driving. Oh, oh, yeah. There so the Jeanettes are producing a tribute car to Pikes Peak. Wow. So, so you know, I mean, just put giving back wherever you can and whenever you can. Uh, I love helping brand new people into the sport because I can give them a four-page list of things not to not do. Not to do. Yes, I was waiting for that. <laughs> and, 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 and as you said, you know, preparation's everything. You yeah. know, if, if you go and you're prepared, you're physically prepared, the car's phys- been gone through, sorted out. Then you go in able to focus and concentrate on the work ahead as opposed to playing catch-up. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned some more great names. Lonnie was a guest on my show about four years ago. She's really come a long way. Oh, she's doing a great job. Yeah, well, she's got a legacy family helping support her in the background, too, with talent. So, uh, yeah, she was born with a lot of talent in that bloodline. How about a great book that you'd like to share with our listeners? You know, I'm, I am I don't want to be pandering, but I— I'm reading Sean's new trilogy on uh, Brumus and yeah. early uh, history of Porsche in the United States. And I think it's fascinating because we've all kind of grown up hearing stories that I think Sean's book either confirms or denies. And I just find it interesting the degree and the amount of, of 
documentation he's been able to produce and firsthand accounts that are from the people who actually lived it and did it. So it's an amazing book. I'm kind of halfway through the first volume. I will say when the book was delivered, I think it damaged my front porch. It's so heavy. <laughs> yeah. you know, that may be my use of my wheelbarrow, get the engine out of it and carry Bichon's book around. But yeah. it's a great book. And I would encourage anybody who's interested in that type of history to, to look at perhaps getting that book. Yeah, a few listeners missed my talk with Sean. He's been on the show a few times. He came back when he did that book. Uh, I was also on the show with Hurley when he wrote the book about Hurley Haywood with Hurley. Uh, but this book is not just one book. It's three books. It's a huge, massive volume. The Brimo story, and he shares this way deeper and broader and wider than he even imagined. So um, it's definitely worth getting. You can find links to that book on Fred Shunnard's page here on the Cars yeah website. And I'm super excited because I just got my set of books. There's four now instead of three. And you're right, uh, Fred. I'm going to be spending a lot of time going through this book. Cannot wait. Website. So, Fred, before I let you go, I'm going to open my big checkbook. I'm going to be your benefactor. I'm going to buy any kind of car in the world for you to go on the ultimate drive. You can take anyone with you, someone living or someone from the past who's deceased, and you could be driving any where? What does the ultimate drive look like for a guy who's taken many ultimate drives? You know, I mean, the temptation is to talk about famous race drivers and pick their brains and do all of that. And, I, you know, obviously, I would love to do that. But I think the truth is, um, get me a GT3 Touring paint to sample and let me just drive Europe for about a month and a half with my wife. She's been such a great supporter through the years of the things I like to do that one of the things I want to give back is give more time to she and my family and the grandkids and those people in my life. So it would probably, it's kind of boring where everybody's expecting me to say, I want to go out with Fanjo and drive, <laughs> but I, I would, you know, having time with my wife is always important to me. Sounds very, very nice. You've taken us on a wonderful ride today, my friend, and I'm so happy that we connected. I want to do a big shout out to uh, Sean Cridlin, who we mentioned many times in the show. He's the one who introduced me to Fred. So Sean brought me another superstar here to Cars Yeah. Before I let you go, Fred, could you share some uh, words of advice, inspiration, maybe a mantra or success question? that might leave our listeners in a very inspired way today? Well, I, I'd say pay it forward. You know, I've been assisted by so many people in my life, both professionally and personally. And I think if you can reach out and help somebody achieve their dreams or their goals, do it. Because I think all of us can make an individual difference in somebody's life. Oh, we, we definitely can. And you listeners have heard me say this. I'm going to say it again. The secret to a happy life is sharing and giving to other people. I've learned it today. We've learned it today from Fred. I've learned it from over 2,000 guests. So find a way to go out. Everybody has the mechanism. Even if you don't have a lot of money to give, you've got your time. And you know what? You have a lot of stuff up here in your head that you can give to other people to help them. So find a way to do that. You'll be super happy. And I'll put links to the Pikes Peak Hill Climb on this show notes page for Fred. I encourage you to check it out if you can get out there this year or next year. This is an event you don't want to miss. Fred, thank you. Mark, thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity. Well, you're welcome. This was a lot of fun. Until we talk again, I'll see you at the Pikes Peak Hill Climb. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!